Hello, Ben. How are you today? Uh, I'm all right, thank you. Uh, still feeling a little bit like I said last time when yeah, everything's going well. Uh, I've had a good few weeks. I've got things to look forward to, but I still feel like a bit angsty. You know, when you get annoyed with yourself, it's like, why do you feel like this? You know, you should be fine. So maybe that'll uh, lead into what we're talking about today. Hmm. Oh, I, oh, sorry. What are we talking about? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, did you know? Did you forget? <laughs> so um, our last podcast, we uh, reviewed uh, the book Sort Your Head Out, Mental Health Without All the Bollocks by Sam Delaney. And we did tell our listeners who might have begun to not trust us anymore because of the many times we've said we're going to have a guest on the Don't Turn yeah. Up. But we have got Alan. And uh, here he is, Sam Delaney. Welcome to the podcast. Thank there you very is. much for coming on. <laughs> Here I am, pretending that I wasn't here. I was sat there throughout the whole thing, trying not to breathe too loudly. Hello to both of you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks Hello, for coming sir. on. Um, and, th- and thank you for your kind reviews of my book. Uh, well, well, very sir. appreciated. Yeah, yeah. I don't really write reviews of books. I don't like. <laughs> that no, no. I, I agree with you on that. I, you know, I sort of, I kind of think, yeah. Why I'm review not, stuff yeah. that you're not a fan of, sort <laughs> yeah. of thing? If, if you have the option, I suppose if you're you're if a full time critic, yeah. then you don't yeah. sometimes don't have have an option. But yeah. um, if you do I'm have the option, yeah, moved into it when I feel when I feel yeah. something merits it. Um, uh, how how was your Easter? You came up, you went to the Isle of Wight, have a good yeah. time. Yeah, I went to the Isle of Wight, which uh, is always a great pleasure for me. It's my favourite place to go, really. And, uh, yeah, went with the kids, took my dog. I've got a new dog, and um, it really felt I, – I always think – I go to a place called Shanklin, which is sort of quite a traditional sort of seaside t- – English seaside town with all the stuff you'd kind of expect, you know, lovely beach huts and a little arcade and some rides and ice cream shops and whatnot. But – and I always call myself – to the my, all my family go there, my mum's – there or she wasn't this weekend but so over the course of the year I'll always sometimes I can just turn up walk along a particular beach and I know I'll bump into like a relative right so that's really nice about it um or not nice depending on your point of view and your mood but the but I call myself Shanklin Pro right that's what I call myself to my family (laughs) I go I'm a Shanklin Pro because I know all the places all the people know me right I know all the conventions. I know. I know the culture, the customs. I'm a Shanklin pro, but the one thing I was missing was a dog, because most people down there have a dog. a dog. And this year, I was strutting up and down the <laughs> promenade with my little cockapoo, whose name is Cookie, lording it like, "Yes, that's right. I've now got the full set: a couple of kids and a dog. Now <laughs> I'm Shanklin platinum level." Um, nice. So, yeah, I had a lovely time. The sun shone, uh, ate some ice cream. It was beautiful. So uh, it must have been a little break from you. I know you've been uh, hard at it for a long time promoting the book. A lot of uh, hard work there. I'm guessing you you must be um, sort of at the the dregs of that now if you're uh, on this podcast with a couple of cunts. Uh, Well, no, to be fair, I've, um, I've taken on anything and everything right from day one. Um, so yeah, you're not the first cunts I've spoken to, put it that way. Uh, that, you know, uh, yeah, I am totally promoting the fuck out of this book because kind of why not? I mean, yeah, it's a pain in the ass writing a book. Yeah. Um, and then it comes out and I just can't understand why anyone would not, you know, kind of 
to talk to anyone who wants to talk about it, plus a specific message of this book as well. It was written genuinely to help people. And so I'm kind of slightly evangelical, really. It's like the book and the promotion are both one and the same in that I'm trying to spread a little bit of a, a message about looking after yourself. Yeah, I don't think you, you shouldn't be. You've got to be all out, I think. I mean, yeah. I remember when you changed your Twitter handle literally to, you know, sort your head out, comes out with the, yeah. the day. And I yeah. thought, yeah, that's spot on. Just use everything in your arsenal to get yeah, your yeah. head out. Yeah, well I'm, well, I'm glad it's been doing so well. So let's get into uh, into talking about it then. So you you read the review I wrote, and so I thought one of the the most important things for me that I got out of it was um, the importance of uh, recognizing and uh, acknowledging your own pain and your own your own traumas, whatever they may be, and and you know not comparing them to other people all the time or minimizing them. Yeah. It's about confronting your own pain and your sadness at the at the source. Yeah. Because um, otherwise, it's gonna, it leads to trouble down the road. I find, you know, if you, you you then can't learn to cope with these feelings and emotions. So, how did you come to realize that you, uh, or how did you come to realize and allow yourself to to recognize your own pain, your own traumas, and and begin to confront them and and, and process them head on? Well, first of all, I think I think you're right. The book's about many different things, I suppose. But actually, the one biggest sort of central message, I think, is as you described, because I, in the course of writing it and in the course of, you know, the last few years doing the reset, which for those who don't know, is my sort of mental health newsletter on Substack, mental health podcast, which is basically what this book grew out of. Right. Um the the experience doing that and talking to many different men about you know their mental health struggles or challenges whatever people who've had addictions or people who've been involved sometimes in violence or crime or any of these different wide array of people the i just started to realize that men the main reason that men don't speak out is cuz they feel a bit ashamed of yeah. feeling any pain Right. Mm. And they used to say the sort of the cliche or the standard sort of analysis of that is that, well, men are under pressure to be tough and strong. Right. And I always thought, yeah, I don't really feel under that pressure. Not really. Right. I don't. I don't know. And I thought, I'm not even sure if anyone, any of my mates feel like we want to be Clint Eastwood or whatever. That feels outmoded. Maybe my dad, maybe certainly my granddad, there was a sort of a stoicism. You know, stoicism mm. was admirable. Yeah. There uh, and 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 so forth. And I thought actually what what I seem preoccupied by and what probably I suspect a lot of my contemporaries, my mates do, is you you don't want to seem like you take yourself too seriously, right? Yeah. So it's like it's not about being tough. It's about basically wanting to be someone who takes things lightly, right? Yeah. So you're not overly sensitive. You're certainly not a whinger or a moaner, right? You're certainly not entitled. No one wants to come across as entitled, 
right? Yeah. Certainly the sort of people that I was surrounded by growing up. I think none of us, the most embarrassing thing would be that we were like navel gazing or whinging, right? And that was our biggest fear. Not seeming weak, it's like different. It was seeming like, you know, oh God, look at him. He's such a drama queen. He's like, make it, yeah. right? Well, that That was what it was. And I always say like my generation, which is the sort of like, we came of age, I guess, in the 90s and you know, and and we were all kind of Jack the Lads. And I always say that, like, you know, we we grew up taking nothing seriously, least of all ourselves, right? Yeah. And so basically that is the main thing is you can take your you, – you don't have to be a whinger. You don't have to be pretentious. You don't have to be navel-gazing, right, or self-important or self-absorbed or any of those other things that no blokes want to be, right, just to sort of – show yourself a bit of love and kindness and understanding, understand what you've been through. Cause whoever you are, you don't have to have been someone who has been, you know, uh, uh, abused relentlessly in childhood or, you know, a refugee who's just managed to struggle over here in, in a little boat carrying their baby under their arm or someone who lost their family in a bloody house fire or whatever. Huge traumas, awful, really difficult things to deal with that you know are, are probably not for the likes of me to assist with they're probably more you know stuff that you know you need years of professional medical assistance a lot of the time to get through that kind of trauma but i'm talking to the everyday bloke Mo- those are exceptional most of us you know especially when we're living here in the western world in a relatively affluent time and place right most of us are super aware of that and because we're so super aware of it, we're terrified of ever saying, actually, do you know what? I'm struggling here. Uh, and I'm just saying that it's okay. doesn't mean that you're, you think that you're worse off than the next person because comparing mm. is irrelevant. It's just how do you feel? And then it's like, well, why do you feel that way? It's not because you're a wind or a moaner. There are legitimate reasons for you feeling the way you do, Right. Life is overwhelming, even if you feel as if you've got a comfortable life because of the superficialities of it, such as you may drive a nice car or you may live with a fucking house that's got a roof on it, right? And so you think, oh, look at me in my rarefied existence with my roof and my central heating. Who am I to complain? Life is overwhelming for everyone, everyone, no matter what kind of privilege you were born with, right? The funny thing is most of these blokes are like, they weren't born with much privilege anyway. Do you know what I mean? These are like sort of normal working guys often struggling, you know, um, in their as they approach middle age or they enter middle age, they're struggling because they've got a, a marriage to maintain. They've got a career to maintain. They're trying to still be one of the lads as well, trying to sort of make some concessions to their own sense of fun, right? Um that they've got non-stop money worries, even the ones who seem to have good jobs. Everyone's like worried about money all of the time, which is a huge trigger, right? You got you're struggling with your sense of identity. A lot of blokes I've noticed struggle with boredom. A lot of blokes struggle mm. with uh, a sense of failure, right? Because uh, to be honest, society's set up to make us all feel a little bit like failures because. There's so many, like, we're presented so often with people who appear to be doing better than us. Do you know what I mean? Or the criteria by which we're supposed to assess how successful we are are kind of skewed, often perverted or created by kind of commercial interest, frankly. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah. And and so you you you're assessing how successful or not you are on weird like perverse kind of criteria that some some are now or other which forces with vested interests have set for you. So all of these things is tough life life can be tough. I hope I'm not making out life's miserable. Life is brilliant. Um I feel, you know, I'm very happy a lot of the time in my life, but I can wake up feeling shit sometimes and you know, so can the bloody King of England, I'm sure. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, so does, yeah. I don't know, Harry Styles or whoever. Do you know what I mean? People <laughs> yeah. wake up, Harry Styles and Harry Kane, the bloody England captain. He'll wake up sometimes and feel, bloody, I'm sick of all of this. The pressure, you know, the the hassle. and Or that he might think, I don't even know why I feel the way I do. I just do. I just feel miserable and I've got no way of understanding why. Because you're well, knackered and exhausted and overwhelmed and overstretched, and so so is everyone. And when that happens, stop stop thinking, stop trash talking yourself about it, and start thinking, right, maybe I need a rest. You know? Yeah, and we're all human. You know, when it yeah. comes down to it. everyone is human, exactly. And you just got to run human minds and, and and the things that can leave an imprint on it from childhood or not. You know, not even from childhood, just in adulthood. It's it's complicated. It's not as simple mm. as as you say, you know, material wealth or you know everything seeming to go great. You know, mm. It's key message about getting men talking. It does seem we've made a lot of progress there. And you know, Matt and I were talking uh, before, but with me, me and him are not really what would you call a Jack the Lad type, and we're not we're not bad at talking about our feelings. When we've like mm. got good friends for that kind of thing as well, but. Nonetheless, um, you've made the point. I think uh, I think it's in the in the book and and in articles about suicide still being the biggest killer of men under the age of forty five. And uh, despite being able to understand things I've been through in the past, it took me a very very long time to you know think right. I'm going to start having engaging with therapy. It was always like right. I'm going to sort this out myself, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can do this myself. I can overcome this myself. Or oh, I'm waiting for a big milestone in life where I'm like, oh, right, that's the big realisation moment. Everything will be fine now. And so, you know, it's 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 there's still... And all those old-fashioned pressures can exert themselves, you know. I don't feel the need to be Clint Eastwood, but then sometimes I'll instinctively you know, do have that instant kicking in or, or like... Mm. When my children were first born, all the pressures of, of the fatherhood, and at the, when they're at the time, I wasn't the main breadwinner in the household, and that was, you know, perfectly fine. I'm not some, you know, dinosaur, and yet I would still feel I still felt, had feelings of inadequacy about it. Yeah, and I was like, well, it's just you can't help these old conventions kick in. <laughs> so, it, did you feel that the book is still, still, we've still got somewhere to go in 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 getting everybody. You know, getting people to share, and you know, it is important to talk and recognize recognize these things. Yeah, I think that those things, um, you know, yeah, I've experienced that as well. Like when you have kids, it's sort of, and that's a conversation I have with some of my mates, the mates who who do open up and talk about stuff a lot about how, like, you have kids, and suddenly you start judging yourself so harshly about things. Mm. You know, like I had a couple of rough years, of, you know, uh, uh, in a row where. I'd gone from earning a lot and being able to take my kids on pretty, you know, luxurious sort of memorable holidays to suddenly it's like, yeah, it's just the Isle of Wight. That's it. That used to be our bonus little trick, but now it's like, that's it. Because, and you know, I'd always be honest with them and go, well, you know, I'm skinned. What do you want from me? Do you know what I mean? Because I believe in them understanding that and like not, not dressing it up or something. But 
I would feel, you know, but it's like if it before I had kids, I'd have thought, well, fuck it, I can't go on holiday this year, you know, whatever, bit of a shame, but never mind. Yeah. And uh, but it's an extra layer to it when you've got kids in a family because you start having this voice which you, you know is insane and you know is old fashioned and meanless. You start thinking, You're a failure as a father. Look at your poor little dirty faced <laughs> children, you know, uh, on on the beach eating sand in the Isle of Wight. And you kind of think, you know, and and you, and then you get even more angry with yourself because you think, Oh god, what an entitled prick. You, you know, you're you're so materialistic. But if we're really honest, these things do visit upon so many of us, right? I know from mates who are very down to earth who've said the same thing about stuff with your kids and, you know, you're just feeling, you sort of step back and you picture yourself as some sort of failure father or washed up father or or whatever. And it's silly, but I think that I don't, you know, where those conventions come from or those, uh, you know, sort of toxic kind of perceptions of who we should be come from. I don't know. It's probably quite a long conversation about the way that that culture evolves. However, in terms of how it can be fixed, well, at least if we're all a bit more honest, just like we've been with each other now, then it's it's easier to laugh about. It's easier for you all to say, oh, yeah, fucking hell, I think that as well. It's stupid, really, isn't it? You realise that other blokes who are, are thinking the same thing, I talk to my mates about it and you realise, oh, I'm not the only one who who has these sort of irrational fears about how the fact that I'm falling behind or I'm or I'm I'm losing control or I'm washed up or I'm a failure because all of my mates, you know, or, or my mates admit they're the same and we can laugh about it and talk about it. And that really takes the sting out of things. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. really takes the sting out of things. And and all this like talking about um all this talking stuff that people go, you got to talk about it. I used to sort of espouse that, but I wasn't, when I was asked, but why, why, what difference does it make to talk about it? I was not always entire. I wasn't that capable of explaining it because I could understand how people, you know, a lot of blokes just didn't have it in them to sit down and go, guys, thanks for coming today. I want to talk to you about my childhood or I want to talk to you about my feelings towards alcohol or something. Cause you think, yeah, I, I, Blokes aren't most blokes aren't gonna like enjoy engaging in that. What I'm more what I'm really enthusiastic about is dropping this kind of stuff that we're discussing here, just casually with a lightness of touch, it becoming more of an everyday conversation yeah. that yeah. is as normal as commenting upon the weather or the weekend's football scores, right? Now that sounds weird. Uh, to some people might think, well, as if you're going to go in and say, I've been struggling with booze recently. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's unresolved childhood trauma. Okay. You're not necessarily going to say that on a Monday morning to your male work colleague. I get that, but you might just go, you know, I'm, I'm feeling miserable. Or you might go, you know what? I've been really miserable these last couple of days. and I haven't got a fucking clue why. And then the other bloke goes, yeah, I have days like that. It's really weird. Well, what do you do? Right. I just, to be honest, sometimes I just wait for it to pass because there is no reason. There's no rhyme or reason some of the times to our feelings. Sometimes it's just, sometimes it might just be hormonal. Who who knows? Yeah. So my trick is sometimes to just not engage with those feelings because sometimes, like you might, you know, I heard you at the beginning uh, when I was pretending not to be here, <laughs> saying yeah. like, oh, you know, things have been good recently, but you're, you know, you 
you're not sure why, but you kind of don't feel great. And I, I, funny enough, I was feeling like that today as well. I had a great day yesterday, and then today I've just sort of been a bit flat. But what I have got better at is I used to feel those feelings. Like you wake up, you'd be sluggish. I couldn't get motivated to work. Nothing was really exciting me. Just that you're not really like rock bottom, but you're just like, shit, I just can't get out of first or second gear here. What I used to do was I'd, I'd feel like that, and then my mind would start searching for a reason why. Because I think yeah. my body's trying to tell me something here. Something's wrong. What is it that's wrong? I know something's wrong. So I'd start thinking, I'd start analysing and searching. <laughs> right, is it is it money? Is it because there's a bill that I've forgotten about that I'm not going to be able to pay this month? Or is it something that's going on with the kids that I should be worried about? Or is it something my wife? Or is it something where? And you, you'd search around, right? And then I would search until I found something. And then I'd go, ah, yeah. that's why I mean shit. Why <laughs> yeah. would I do that? I'd do that out of um, a need for control, right? Because yeah. I think if I can identify the reason why I'm feeling shit, then I can control it. I can confront it. I can fix it. And then I can move on and feel better. That's what I did for years, right? And that mm. fed my anxiety, which was already an issue anyway, right? Now, what I try to do, and I'm much better at, is if I feel like that, I just think, oh, well, I just feel like that today. There doesn't need to be a reason. Some days you just have it. And I shut any thoughts down. I really try to avoid analysing it. I wait for the feelings to pass. Mm. Some people say, oh, it's like a cloud passing in the sky. I just think this is the way that I've woken up feeling. There isn't a reason for it. I'm certainly, there might be a reason for it. I'm not going to fucking go looking for that reason. I'm going to try and ignore the way that I'm feeling. I'm not going to try and delve into my feelings at all. Do you know what I mean? So that's that's uh, a little everyday sort of tip that works for me. But going back to what you said, yeah, I just think casual, being more open about just saying shit that's on your mind or being honest, being honest when people say, you know, not doing that, I feel fine. Just go, I'm really miserable. I had, a, I had a bloody big argument with the missus the other night or whatever yeah. it is. I'm really, I don't know what I'm going to do. Normalising it, normalising yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Just normalise being human. I think that's I think that's a line I might have even used in the book, but normalising being human. You know, I'm really interested in work environments because when I was writing the book, I realized that a lot of the bad periods in my life were linked to the jobs I was doing or the environments I was working in at the time. And I didn't realize that until I look back and you start sort of joining the dots and thinking, what was I up to when I started doing loads of coke in the day? Do you know what I mean? For example, because <laughs> I'd never analyzed it. I go, what was I doing at that time? Oh, I was sort of doing that for a job, wasn't I? Yeah. And that was pretty tough. I didn't like it because of this, this, and this. And, you know, I, I realize that me personally, I don't, I'm, I'm not great in uh, corporate environments that are very process driven and where the language and culture is extremely corporate and, and process driven. I'm not saying that's wrong for everyone. I'm not being entitled, but that's just with me. And the reason is, is that. I find it dehumanizing. Personally, I find those kind of environments dehumanizing. I find the way in which people communicate dehumanizing. I find the fact that it's taken as read that the work always comes first. 
And sometimes people almost act weirdly towards you if you bring up something even vaguely personal in a meeting, mm-hmm. right? I find that really fucking strange and really de- alienating. And uh, and I think that, you know, it's no surprise that the biggest cause of, of missed days at work and, 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 and the biggest challenge for productivity in companies is mental health related. And companies seem to be work, waking up to that now. But they yeah. think, oh, well, all we need to do is get a mental health first aider in. Or all we need to do is mm-hmm. get someone to come and do a talk on positive thinking, right? Yeah. Which is actually a fucking awful way to respond to these sorts of issues because you're sort of saying – what we'll do is we'll have someone who tells you how even when you're feeling absolute shit, you can still keep going, right? <laughs> that's just more that's just more fucking capitalist hoodwinkery. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, don't worry, Chris Akabushi's gonna tell you that even when <laughs> e- even when it's shit and you, you're not being paid enough and you're having to work 12 hours a day and your boss talks to you like you're a fucking robot, right? Uh, it's okay because you can fight through that, right? Or you have mental first mental first aid, which says when one of your colleagues finally fucking collapses and can't take any more, you'll know how to talk to them and help them, right? But I'm like, well, why don't we just fucking change the way we work and communicate with each other so people don't end up getting really depressed or mental in the first place? Rather than find solutions or fixes to people when they've already lost the plot. You know, yeah. So there's a thing. There was a thing you were mentioning there, which comes up a lot in that kind of sphere around resilience. And fucking resilience. You talk about yeah. resilience a lot, and I often think of when people say resilience, they mean like suck it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Up, put a brave face on. And like, they teach them it to go opposite. School. My kids' yeah. school are obsessed with this resilience. Resilience. They all talk. Yeah, it's a on the game front about, of my kids' school, actually. They all talk about <laughs> mental health, don't they? These schools. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, mental health, such a huge thing. We do mental health. But I sometimes think you're just ticking boxes because they go resilience. And like, the thing is, the schools, my daughter's doing her GCSEs at the moment, so it's really like, or she's just about to, and so it's really like at the forefront of my mind, this stuff. The schools grind these kids into the ground. It's unbelievable the amount of work they have to do in comparison mm. to the amount I, certainly I ever had to do when I was at school. Not that I'm saying that was right either. Um, I'm not saying it was better in the old days when it's fucking when I was at school. I said to my daughter, they just sort of said to you a couple of months before, oh, by the way, you'll have to do a load of exams at the end of this year, so you better start uh, looking back through your exercise books. Right? And you go, <laughs> what? All I've got drawn in my exercise books are like West Ham lineups and cocks. <laughs> well, that's not going to well, I go, well, you should have thought of that, shouldn't you? And you've been dicking around in class all year <laughs> that with with. Uh, my daughter now, pretty much every year since she first set foot in secondary school, has been effectively a boot camp, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a non-stop boot camp for these exams. The pressure is immense. And, you know, maybe it's immense because the people who run the schools or the academies or whatever know that the better grades that these kids achieve – the better their own career prospects are going to oh, yeah. be as teachers, right? And the school so, as well, you know. And the school. The school gets, yeah. So you sort of think, uh, this is all a bit horrible. The kids are just collateral damage in this sort mm. of whole kind of... Targets, you know, targets, targets, all the way through them. Targets, yeah. But my five-year-old's coming, you know, got homework to do. Yeah, because they got to get good results in their sats eventually. Yeah, I'm just like, fucking hell, good luck trying to get him to sit. I can't get him to sit down and fucking start doing these exercises. I just have to school. Uh, And then the school, so when you go, bit much, innit? 
all this shit you're putting <laughs> the kids through. They go, wow, it's very important, Mr. Yeah. Delaney, that they learn resilience. And I'm like, but don't give me that bullshit. <laughs> I, I don't say that. Is that how it goes? In my head. I'm like, that's bullshit. You're using the word resilience. You've latched onto that word resilience. It's probably come from some other fucking mad- management figure at your academy trust. So tell me that we're teaching resilience. Because it's a way of saying we're going to force you through it and you're going to have to put up and shut up, right? And some of you will fall by the wayside and go mental and just start smoking weed to cope, which, by the way, is what's happening, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like You see at 15, kids have been great all the way through school, and then suddenly at 15, there's like a crossroads, and some of them just go, do you know what? I'm going to get really into getting pissed and smoking weed. And the reason that's is... That's what I did at that age. That's, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's, why, that's when it started for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah because it's so... Because you're under a huge amount of pressure at that age, you know. And I actually, uh, I I got a shrink at the um, at the pro who's like a top addiction expert, right? And he's work he's he's worked at the priory for years. He's you know speaks and writes papers and all of this. And he told me recently, he said, 15 is the age. 15 is the age where these kids, their brain is still developing, and they tend to make a choice at 15." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's because when their GCSEs are looming on the horizon." And some of them are being forced. They're being forced like fucking geese by unscrupulous French farmers. You know, when they're making their foie gras, <laughs> same thing. They're, they're like they're they're having their, like a hose pipe fucking, and you know the exams are being pumped down their fucking throats, right? And it's and it's nightmarish. And unless you've got everything exactly right in your home life and everything else in your environment exactly right to help you cope, then you will buckle under the strain. And you will run into the comforting arms of marijuana, and <laughs> and and that might never, and then that might be it for the rest of your life. You just be one of the many people who just fucking falls prey to weed, which is a life sentence for many people. I know lots of the kids that I went to school with, which just like ones who are much smarter than me, right? They just, I see them now. Sometimes you'll see them in the street. You haven't seen them in years, and it's like dead man walking. Mm. You know, he smoked his first spliff when he was twelve, and he's never stopped ever since. And now he's practically 50 and that his whole life has been given over to weed. Yeah, revolves so, around it. So anyway, the, I can't remember how I got to that, but I think it's because, like you said about resilience, the schools say resilience, but really that just suits their agenda, doesn't it? Yeah, it's the co-opting of the language. This language, yeah. I think, it probably comes from like mindfulness, which is, I guess, touches on what you were saying yeah. before around like not dwelling on your thoughts, like viewing your thoughts as something separate to, you know, yeah. your, your brain. Um, <laughs> and I guess that's what resilience really means in that context. It's like the ability to take things as they are, not to like get wrapped up in thought processes. And that yeah. Thing. Yeah, not not just like a, keep an going to pummel you with shit. Yeah. yeah, shut up and keep going. It's like I don't know if you've ever seen Full Metal Jacket, but it just makes yeah. me think of that, yeah. like the drill <laughs> yeah. sergeant in Full Metal Jacket, or any war or army film you've seen, right? And it's like people say things have got so much better about around mental health now, haven't they? But you know, I think we've got to be vigilant because maybe they haven't. Maybe what all this mental health chat has done has provide employers educators authorities to it it supplied them with a sort of a language like you say that allows them to basically dismiss people's complaints do you know what i mean legitimate complaints so they're like or like you know we had some geezer come in and do a talk last month 
in the lunch hour. And <laughs> any impression. anyone anyone was welcome to come, and that demonstrates that we take this seriously. And it's like, no, it doesn't. Demonstrates you've ticked a box so you can carry on treating people however you like. But fundamentally, the way we the way we live needs to change. I think. Yeah. Well, you always have whenever you have progress in anything. There's always you have progress, and then other things regress, or you know, like yeah, there's lots more discussions about mental health. There's more help out there, but also there's lots of bullshit out there as well. Yeah. Lots of uh, you know charlatans and chances and you know. Uh, it's kind of like the self help. I'm not totally against the whole idea of self help thing, but sometimes it's like, hey, here's a framework for life that's going to sort everything out. And that's yeah. uh, not necessarily going to help either. So, no. yeah. So, another thing for you to fail at a framework for life as yeah, well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. you give yeah. people, like, okay, you know, the amount of, you know, all these life coaches that have sprung up out of nowhere now saying, here's my seven point. Here are my seven habits for you to never be sad again. It's like, <laughs> stop telling people that. Like, you know, I'm never going to tell anyone you're not going to be sad. I'm more more likely to say you're going to be happy sometimes, you're going to be sad sometimes. Most of the time, if you're lucky, you'll just be neither. You'll be content and just able to get on with your life and function without any extreme feelings getting in the way, you know. And... uh and that's that's the way that that's what being a human is, and it's fine, and it's full of lots of great things. But uh, a, a system for happiness is such bullshit. It's invented, like you say, by snake oil salespeople, and it's um, just another thing for you to fail at because you know you'll see this get up at five a.m. and drink some kale and you'll go. And desperate people will try and think. And I know, to be honest, I've been there. You know, when I look back about 12 years ago or so and i was like first really hit a brick wall in my life where i was like oh my god what's happened to me i am like to be honest the the easiest way i can put it into words is that i was just really sad and really scared every day Mm -hmm. to an extent that i just couldn't sleep at night I, i was just i was a mess and i didn't know where it'd come from there wasn't like one incident it crept up and then it just took hold and it took hold for a long time. And like, I don't know if you know this feeling where you're like waking up every morning and your first thought is, oh, is it gone? And yeah. and, and for yeah. the first like maybe minute maximum, you think, I think it's gone. And then you're yeah. like, oh, no, no, it's still there. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm still I'm still terrified of what I don't know, but I am just shitting myself really badly about some sort of invisible threat, right? And... um. And when you're in that and when it goes on for like weeks and weeks and months and then you start to think it's not it's not going away, then you become really vulnerable to any old shit that people are pitching you. Yeah. you know what I mean, because you're desperate, you, you you know, you really and that and that's and then that's not nice, is it? Because then you might accidentally go online and pay quite a lot of money for someone to tell you that all you need to do is get up at five o'clock, exercise, drink kale. I don't know. Fucking yeah, you do that. Yeah. Or you're getting, are you ringing yeah, a fucking no. dealer or something? You know, yeah. <laughs> whatever unhealthy coping coping mechanism you might reach for. Mm. I've had a lot of those uh, pressures in life came uh, when becoming a parent. To loop around to that, I mean, it's big message in your book. In our podcast, just because we are near middle aged dads, we talk about being dads a lot mm. and trials and tribulations. And um, yeah, it's one of the key messages in your book that. Uh, fatherhood is hard and you know we're all pains to acknowledge that uh, uh the difficulties of motherhood but mm. as being men 
you know, it, it's okay to acknowledge how difficult it is be, being a dad. Again, the mm. enormous pressures that come when it all, your whole life changes very, very quickly in a way that you think you might be prepared for, but you're not. Uh, well, some, you know, that, not speaking for everybody, but that can be the way people people feel. And, mm. uh, you know, I was really interest, interested in the, in the I've got, <laughs> got a post-it note in part of your book here, the Dadzilla part, where you, you appeared in the Telegraph. Mm. Um, was like you know the perfect family, perfect uh, uh, father sort of image. You know, not that you weren't a good dad, but you know, obviously had troubles at the time. And that's not different from the way people present themselves on social media or they present themselves yeah. to their friends and family when they're asked if they're okay. And you know, that's one of the things probably I'd, me and my friends, you know, Matt here, probably didn't do early in childhood uh, in uh, in being mm. tend to each other and go, "Fucking hell, this is." It's, it's hard. It's hard yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it, it, it obviously it continues to be hard, but you know it's um, it's especially those first few years with them being. A, young. There's a thing about like a modern dad as well. Is that kind of what you're saying yeah. with that dadzilla as well? It's like the modern dad who can also like change nappies and look after the kids mm. and be, be a stay-at-home dad, and mm. like and you can just and aren't I fucking clever for being being able to do that? And like mm. I've been like that as well. Mm. I like look after my kids a lot. Um mm. share it's like 50-50 between me and my wife really. Um but there isn't really like a good role model for that, I guess. There's not like a good get going mm. back to frameworks. There aren't there isn't really like a, a clear asp like aspirational like person who you can say this yeah. is what kind of aiming for. Yeah. Kind of picking it up as you go along and just Yeah, you sort of piece it together. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> and I do think I always say fatherhood's hard if you're doing it right okay yeah. if you're if you're putting your shift in so my dad left i think before i was born with my three older brothers i you know at least he claims he was really yeah maybe it's just what he tells me but like he was a lot of the time at home my mum went out and was like a a temp you know temp in offices or whatever and sometimes he'd be at home with with three very young kids doing stuff with them. I reckon I've never had this chat with him because he would never open up about it. I'm sure. But I reckon that part of the reason he, he left was he, he just couldn't take it anymore. Right. Couldn't mm. take it. it there was, he, they'd basically raised three kids, got out the other end, right. Three under three, very close together, got out the other end, kind of like, you know, his career had been on hold. He'd sort of, gone from one job to another, living in from one council flat to another and having to move about and very stressful. And then finally, finally, he probably thought, oh, I'm coming out the other end here because the kids are just about getting to the age where I can get some sleep and they're a little bit more self-sufficient. And then suddenly they have another one and that's me. <laughs> and I reckon he's like, fuck's sake, just as things were like, I don't know. But the reason that's my analysis is not to feel sorry for myself, but more like, I think, yeah, that's how I feel. Do you know what mm, I mean? Like, yeah. and and like, I, so basically a lot of dads fucked off, right? That was my dad's generation. A lot of them just, I, I, I say it like this, and it's all cliches, right? My granddad's generation sat in, they, if they weren't at work, they were sat in their armchair, totally silent, really grumpy, reading the newspaper. And it's like, do not fucking bother your dad. Because if you do, <laughs> He will go mental. He will probably <laughs> he will probably beat you, right? Yeah, yeah. I reckon that's what my granddad's like. My dad, my then you get my dad's generation, which is a bit more like fucking hell. This is fucking. They're a bit like hippies from the sixties, and they're like fucking. This is a bit of a fucking asshole. I might just go. Do you know what I mean? Right? <laughs> yeah. There was a generation above me, which is probably like my brother's generation, 
who were a bit like, I'm I'm gonna work really hard and leave a lot of that shit to the missus because yeah. Yeah. that's a bit depressing and shit and boring. And I just think the missus should take care of that. And especially if you're doing quite well in your career, you can justify it by going, well, look at the life I'm provided, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's that is toxic. I can see again how you'd fall into that, but it's toxic. Now, when I had kids, I really didn't want to be like any of those. I knew what I didn't want to be. Right, yeah. So I had a clear vision of those three models, and I didn't want to be any of them. So I thought they were all toxic in their own way, right? I'd seen dads who sort of like, you know, say things like, oh, I don't do kids' parties. That's that's yeah. for her to do. Yeah. Right? Or I don't yeah. do anything. I hate I hate the people at school. And I think, listen, and how do you justify it to yourself? I oh, you justify it to yourself because I can, although I'm always at work and then I'm out after work on the piss or whatever, I take my kids on a nice holiday, right, or whatever. And you're like, that is not, in my opinion, what being a good parent is. A good parent is like having a really good relationship and being there and offering them consistency and stability and a, and a nice relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And I, so I did have a clear vision of that, but in my bid to sort of avoid all of these other things, right, and put a real shift in, I became overwhelmed because you. one thing I learned was, you can't do everything, right? Mm. You cannot do everything. I had spells where my wife had a pretty good full-time job and I would say, oh, I'm going to take my foot off the gas on the freelance work and just stay at home with the kids a bit. And that would kill me very quickly. I would get pretty down because let's be honest, that can be fucking boring, right? And depressing. And that's no, I don't think you should have any shame in admitting that. Because women admit it to each other all the time because they have to go through it more than us. Dads may be like, you want to go like, yeah, it's fine. It's really cool. I'm like taking my kid to the park for a kickabout. One of the first things I thought about Make make Mm. spaghetti bolognese and it's fine. It's not fine. All of Mm. that is like, it's really depressing when you're just watching CBeebies all day. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, as a stay, stay like Matt as well as I, I did a period of um, as a stay at home dad for for a while, maybe a year or so. And yeah, I did feel a lot of guilt by just often thinking this is so fucking boring, boring, fucking boring. all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of you have all the parts of it that are delight, but you know, those are the moments. You know, yeah, the, and, the rest and of it's... because the bits that are delight, and because you do feel a deep love, and because yeah. also, you know, however bad it gets, you'd always be willing to do it. Do you know what I mean? You'd always be willing to. You're not going to just fucking stop. You're not going to just fuck off like some dads did of you know our dads. Uh, so you, you know, and therefore you think if I admit to any of it being bad, then I'll look like I can't cope or I don't sufficiently yeah. love my kids. You know, it is also true that mums have a better, they're better at being honest with each other, generally speaking, sharing their feelings, support each other, generally speaking. And also they just have networks of friends. Like when my wife was at home on maternity leave, you know, very quickly kind of there'd be, she'd be, She'd already have friends with kids at the same age, or you'd meet them quite easily. You know, you'll know, especially at primary school, you're at the gates and you're the only dad often. <laughs> and yeah, you, and you, you don't want to, and you're like, you're fucking obsessed with not appearing to be creepy. That's like <laughs> yes. all you really care about. It's not easy. <laughs> all you all you really care about is I don't want anyone to think that I'm a fucking creep, right? It's <laughs> like your number one fucking, and I think that's like 99%. There are creeps out there who don't give a fuck, and we all know a few. 
But I think the vast majority of blokes are the opposite of that. They just think, please, God. And so you take it so far that you literally end up being rude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I was like that in there. We used to take him to, we've Not talked about yeah. <laughs> used to take him to like soft play areas and you know it's during the day yeah. and it's all mums there plus there's other kids there and you know I might see a kid hurt themselves and I'm just, I'm just like well no yeah, yeah. oh yeah you, you, you don't <laughs> want to be a, you don't want to be a creep towards the other mums that's the thing but you also don't want to be a <laughs> nonce so those person. are the two things you think <laughs> if I'm I don't want to be a nonce obviously <laughs> people may think I'm a nonce as a lone male right yeah. nonce yeah. vibes but also i don't want to look like i'm trying to get off with any of the mums, <laughs> the mums yeah. yeah that's the main thing and that's why you end up being rude because they go hi and you're like hello don't make eye contact <laughs> yeah. they'll think i'm they'll think i'm trying to chat them up Just to round up a little bit, we're both big fans of uh, your um, top flight time machine. I've been for a long time. I just wanted to make a point to you very quickly, just so you know, because <laughs> I, went, I went to your live sounds, show. Sounds, sounds awkward. This. I went to your live show last year in Leeds, in and Leeds. Uh, and uh, I went to your book launch. You're on my podcast. I wrote a book with you, and <laughs> a while. <laughs> A while ago, before we we knew this was happening, Matt and I decided to go to your show in London, which is on Saturday. Yes. What I point to you is, I'm not fucking stalking you, all right? Uh-huh. You're coming to the show in London on Saturday. Yeah, That's yeah, my yeah. birthday show, so you better bring me some cash or something. <laughs> <laughs> Bought a ticket. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's all purely just happened in a short space of time. Yeah, no, it's all right. I'm not, I'm not scared or intimidated by. Even if you are stalkers, I'm not, not worried about it. I'm not. I don't all fear right. stalkers. I'll, I'll, I'll always have my stony on underneath whatever I'm wearing, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's no problem. Yeah, nice one. It was um, all the conversation of not looking like a creep. And that's yeah, that's always yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not the mums who should be worried. It's the fucking <laughs> podcasters. <laughs> You've had some uh, interesting attempts at interaction with the Top Flight Time Machine podcast, haven't you, Ben, as well? Um, yeah, that, uh, every attempt at interaction, I just should, I should avoid it, really. Uh, what, uh, on what medium? You mean, like, with the Twitter account? Oh, just whenever I try and get... I mean, you had... Um, or with me and Andy personally. No, no, just like you know, you know, you have a warning. You, you and you and Andy always say, "Don't try and be funny." And yeah. I don't know whether you should heed the warning because it never fucking works out. No. Um, okay, it was just it was one. The, the mug, the mug, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, that was on your other podcast. You know, when you did the one with your cousin. Um, about, oh, uh, Beat Beat Babylon. Babylon. Oh, yeah. I got this weird thing, and I've got this stupid thing about where I've got in my head a million TV references in my head. Yeah. And I will sometimes say something that's related to them, and for so, you know, for some reason, expect people to understand what I'm talking about. I bought a mug, and then I, I bought a mug, uh, part of your merchandise for it, and then what one was it? 
Uh, I can't. It just uh, Betamax Babylon mug, really oh, cool one with, it, with the logo yeah. on. And then yeah, I like, really I broke it straight. I broke it straight away. I dropped it. Yeah. And I tweeted something and and said, "Ah, oh, this mug's just falling apart in my hand." <laughs> and it was, <laughs> and it was just like a reference to some something. And then the, your cousin texted me saying, "Oh, oh sorry, really earnestly saying, oh, sorry, we'll replace it straight away." I was like, "Oh no, no, I was only kidding." He's like. Mate, everyone on Twitter takes everything fucking literally, and they're gonna think you're a fucking merch of shit. Uh, <laughs> fucking brought up on the podcast, I was like, oh, you're a fucking. You're a oh yeah, no, it's all right. <laughs> uh, Bruce is a very approachable bloke as well, so if you uh, fucking, no, no. Uh, no, it's if, definitely better. It was better. Bruce off, you must have really like done something serious because he is quite hard to annoy. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, I think it was, it was more mildly irritated than anything else, but uh, yeah, just a daft. With things like that, I think I'm going to. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I, if it, if it, if it means anything, I know how that feels because obviously I've been sort of, kind of stalking, trying to sort of start conversations with Gary Lineker for years. So I know what it's like. You know, I see Gary Lineker around in in my area. I've tried to start chats with him on Twitter. I've tried all sorts of things, and it always goes wrong. Once, I can't remember exactly what the exchange was, but I might look it up because it was like an absolute... When Rio Ferdinand used to be really active on Twitter, didn't he, years ago. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's even on it anymore. Maybe he just gave up because everyone's such a cunt. Yeah. But I love... I used to love Rio. I've gone off him because he is too much of a Man United fan now. But because he was like West Ham when he first came through. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah I'm not yeah. saying I hate all Man U fans, but he just went That's so... He went so sort of like it's not not because of Manchester United specifically. It's because he went so native. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> constantly yeah. going on about how Declan Rice should sign for Manchester United, and it just really wound me up because at the same time he'll try and go, "Oh, I'm born and bred West Ham. I'm West Ham through and through," and all that. So we'll stop trying to fucking get our captain to sign for the the, the other club he played for. Do you know what I mean? Anyway. Um, <laughs> So I don't know why I've gone down that fucking rage yeah. cul-de-sac, right? yeah. but but <laughs> fine. Uh, but he, yeah, there was a time when I was just like, because I loved him when he played for West Ham, and I always thought he was a good bloke, and I was just like fucking trying to engage with him on Twitter, and it just always went wrong, like because I'll tweet always really fast, and my tweets are always full of like typos or yeah, autocorrects and make no sense. I never read anything back before <laughs> I send it. And it was just like a series of like, you you send one, it's gone wrong. You read it back, you think, oh no. So then you send a follow-up one correcting it and that just makes it worse. And then before you know it, I've sent like five tweets. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that scene in Swingers where like John Favreau leaves about 20 messages on the woman's answer <laughs> yeah. phone after their first date. And then she just leaves one message back saying, never call me ever again. Right. Well, it's a bit like my, my near successful interaction on Top Flight Times. And you'd actually read out an email because I actually, I was, on, yeah. I was on Tinder and uh, I came across a profile that said in the in capital letters, bring back fingering. Oh yeah. I, I emailed in saying, oh, I was on Tinder and I saw, and I saw a possible counter in that counter is what people uh, what you call your listener. Was this a woman who said it? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a woman, yeah. yeah. A woman? So she was <laughs> yes. a possible contress, is what yeah, you meant. Contress, so, yeah, contress, yeah. It's a possible fan of the So, and so I explained that to you. And then then the bit where I tried to be funny was I said, naturally, I, I swiped left. But it's right. It's right when you, you like them, not left. Right. So you're on there, I'm like, oh, nice one. I talked about my email. And they said, oh, what? Then they're like, it's, it swept left. It went left. 
what a cunt. We didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I won't be there. I'll, I'll, I'll probably give up now. Mine, but anyway, did, did you go on a date with the woman who wanted to bring no, that thing? No, no. I'm just really interested in that now. <laughs> I mean, I've never been on one of these apps, but there's women on there actually saying I'm I'm a fingering <laughs> fan. That's a... <laughs> Yeah, there's no, loads of niche sense. ones. There might be one that has emerged just for fans of fingering. <laughs> yeah. Fingering one, yeah, yeah, maybe. Guys who want a finger, yeah. girls who want to be fingered. <laughs> yeah, might be a business venture idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, listen, we've taken up on you for your time. Um, thanks for coming on. Um, again, sort your head out. Mental health without all the blocks by Sam Delaney. I'll once again and recommend people read it. And um, thanks a lot. I got a lot out of reading the book, Sam, uh, and uh, and uh, your podcasts, um, the research, and this has been a uh, you know important part of my early process of trying to sort my fucking head out. So, and a lot of other people. So, you know, thank you for that. And well, also, I'm really glad to hear that, mate. Thanks for all the support. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for coming on. And uh, yeah, yeah, thank you for coming on. Yeah. Cheers, lads. All right. Cheers, Sam. Sam. Oh, well, that was fun, wasn't it? Talking to Sam Delaney. <laughs> it was fun and a bit, a little bit surreal. Very surreal, actually, yeah. A bit odd, yeah. It was, it was nice, though. I, I didn't feel quite as nervous as when I attempted to uh, to introduce myself to him at his book launch, which is something we didn't discuss at the time. Mm, uh, yeah, that sounds awkward. Yeah, yeah. it was awkward because, uh, because I was a subscriber to his other podcast, The Reset. Some places were opened up. So I thought, you know, I'm going to go down... I hadn't been down to London much, so I was thinking, this it's an interesting thing to do. I'll go down, you know, and I'll meet him, get a book, blah, 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 all that. But I got there, and it's this tiny room, and I'd got there sort of on time, and it was like the people that were there were the guy behind the bar, someone selling some of his books, and him. Nice. The perfect opportunity to go up to him and shake his hand and say, nice to meet you, Sam. Etc. But actually, what I went to do was thought I shouldn't be here. This is weird. Went to the bar and bought a pint. Went and bought a book, and then sat down trying to basically look at the floor and avoid his gaze, not to <laughs> introduce myself at all. It just went all. Oh, you never know when you're going to go shy. You know, I'm quite shy. Yeah, yeah, Can't be yeah. a shy person, but you know. Anyway. Yeah, me too. I feel like um, I really enjoyed talking to him. I have had quite a, like an experience reading his book. Like, it's, I found it quite affecting in mm. lots of ways. Yeah. Um, and I've had quite a strange few weeks, and, and that the reading that book at the same time. Yeah. Like just emotionally, um, and. And it's been really quite impactful. Um, and I didn't get a chance to time that, but that's fine. <laughs> no, no. We, we need to, we need to like, sell the listeners some stuff, don't we? Don't we? Or yeah. at least yeah, do well, an ask of some kind. Well, yeah, it'd be nice if, if you liked that. We're going to have more guests on. And if you can subscribe and perhaps give us a good review, but at least subscribe, listen again. We are now on uh, Substack, The Great Unraveling on Substack, which is going to encompass the podcast and writing on life and mental health and sort of accessible blog posts on politics and current affairs Good. basically just uh, the podcast writ large it's all yeah. it's all free for the very foreseeable future 
So, so to go to that. the Great Unraveling podcast. Uh, sorry, fuck, I can't even say it. the Great Unraveling Substack. Yeah, yeah, should be able to Google that. Although when I try to Google it, I couldn't find. <laughs> it's only just started. <laughs> I had yeah. to write Ben Kelly in my search as well, and then I found yeah. it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you'll share it on Twitter, right? And then it will be because we want people to subscribe to it, right? Yeah. that's what we want. Sub- yeah. Subscribe to that, or at least that would be it would be really fucking nice, wouldn't it? If people did that, it would be nice. Would, oh yeah, or even it would make, it would make us feel good, wouldn't it? It would. It makes us feel good, doesn't it? Or even yeah. just at least subscribe. To the podcast, and um, you can follow the podcast at Unravel Pod on Twitter, and you can follow me at The Skeptic Isle on Twitter too. If you like, don't have to, yeah. but whatever. But yeah, nice. Hope, Good. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and uh, yeah, we'll be back. And we've got like more guests and stuff coming up, haven't we? Uh, super interesting people, as always, and more super interesting subjects. Yes, and well, banter. Banter. Yeah. <laughs> There's all plenty of bants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we, yeah. true though. We have got another uh, guest coming up. We haven't scheduled it, scheduled it in yet, but uh, our good friend of the podcast, Ian Dunt, his new book out, "How Westminster Works." We will be having him on to talk about it at some point. Um, yeah. When he Ian f- loves coming on, doesn't he? For some he reason, does. he does. Yeah. Something wrong. Something wrong there. The difference this time was his people got in touch with us, didn't mm. they? So he's obviously he's going up in the world. If his yeah. people are contacting us, making progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Making. Yeah. That's three years. Yeah, three, it was in 2020. He was on 21. He was on. So it's been a while, but yeah. He, now it's we have to communicate. What have you just put in your mouth? So I, had a, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I thought that was a good time to put a polo in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right, cool. Should we say goodbye then? Yes. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Subscribe.